Welcome to the Mission Matters podcast, celebrating the people and initiatives that embody the Jesuit tradition of St. Louis University, celebrating what matters in the 200-year-old-plus mission that is St. Louis U, brought to you from the Office of Mission and Identity. So welcome back to Mission Matters. We are here in a brand new academic year. Uh, Starting off 2023-24, I am Virginia Herbers in the Office of Mission and Identity, and I am thrilled to have as our kickoff guest, Dr. Julia Lieberman, who is Professor of Language, Literature, and Cultures here at SLU, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about her work, her research, what justice looks like in the Jewish tradition, but also how all of that relates to SLU's mission and expresses our Jesuit and Catholic identity in ways very particularly. So welcome, Julia. It's wonderful to have you here. Uh, Thank you, Virginia. I'm very, very happy to be here with you. (laughs) As we are recording, this is the very first week of classes. So let's just start off and have you talk a little bit about yourself. How long have you been at SLU? How have you been involved? Okay, so I've been here for a very long time, uh, since I think it came in uh, the fall of 1995. So you can imagine how many changes I have Mm -hmm. seen. Um, And just relating to the, uh, you know, the topic of today's um, conversation, I have taught from the very beginning, I have taught the more traditional Spanish courses. So I recently or constantly teach uh, advanced writing. I also teach introduction to Hispanic lit, which is all, all this is in Spanish, which includes not, not only Spain, which is my specialty, but also Latin America. And then I have taught the more, uh, you know, the more advanced courses like theater. My specialty was when I got my PhD was Renaissance and Baroque literature. That was my training. But obviously, from day one, I really wanted to introduce courses that related to my own research. And my research has always been the Jews of Spain and Portugal, the Sephardic Jews. And so the last, I would say the last 10 to 15 years, I have been very, very interested in studying. I always study the Sephardic Jews for my research after they left Spain or Portugal, but um, after the expulsion. So I don't necessarily do the ones that I went to the Ottoman Empire, but rather the ones that remain in Spain and Portugal for various reasons, converted as Christians. And then at one point, they went back to Judaism in the 1600s. So we're looking at the 1500s, 1600s, Jewish folks who left Israel and landed in Spain and Portugal. No. Okay, so in 1492, the Jews were expulsed from Spain, right? And a large number of them went to what was then the Ottoman Empire. I'm not going to discuss them that much. They went as Jews to the Ottoman Empire. Some of them forced, you know, well, in Spain, they, they, it was their own choice to remain as Christians. In Portugal, they were baptized in, as Christians. People called them converts as Christians, but they were merchants. They were international merchants. So at one point in the 1600s, they began to leave Spain. And they went to places, really, they went to places for mercantile reasons. So um, Amsterdam, Hamburg, London, uh, southern France, the Atlantic, you know, that's where they settled colonies. 
my late thing is London in the 1700s. And obviously I could spend hours telling you why. There were no records before, but they were there for a while. Okay. And so my interest has always been just to um, investigate how women went back to Judaism, how they were treated, how they raised their children. So I'm very, very interested in childhood and then in women. And it's a, I mean, women is a very difficult thing to do because both in Christianity and in Judaism, they didn't count that much, right? So, but I always managed to find something about them, right? So I am now writing a book on the 1700s in London. So I'm, I'm covering the entire century, the 1700s. And so years ago, I was going to begin this project that seems to last forever. I was going to begin this project. And um, one of the things is that they had in the 1700s in London, the Portuguese Jews, they were mostly Portuguese. The, the community was called Spanish and Portuguese, but really it was 90% they were Portuguese. And so they were away from the inquisitions in Portugal and Spain. And so the community, the community was a wealthy community of merchants. And so all the records are about charity institutions, right? How they treated, for example, the, uh, the mentally ill, the elderly, uh, how they educated children. So that's what interests me. And, and uh -huh. the records had plenty of stories, right? So I didn't know, I mean, I knew about charity in the Jewish tradition, but I was not a specialist. So I thought to create a course that will inform me, but also, you know, uh, with the students, right? And so I created a course, I, I designed a course that at the time I call it Tikkun Olam, the repairing the world. And so my students love the term also. And I always cross-listed with theology and um, history and at times even with um, philosophy. But there was no much demand, so the course was dormant. And now with the new um, the new core, I thought I'm going to revive this course, but I'm going to make changes because many things have happened, right, historically. So I'm going to include race for two reasons. The, the, the Jews and, and African-Americans in this country have always related very well, and they see their experience with, you know, some parallels and that kind of thing. But also uh, there are more and more African-Americans that are now Jewish as there are many Christians, right? And so, for example, I will take them, we will take them to the History Museum. And I don't know if you know, but there is something there that is called the breaking of the vessels. And I think people ignore that. Okay, when I saw it, I think it's just the right lesson to teach interfaith. The title is called The Breaking of the Vessels because in the Jewish tradition, the way to explain evil in this world is with a metaphor of the breaking of the vessels. The so blood vessels. Right, the blood. These are the vessels of God's body. But it's the idea is that they were so powerful when he created the world that some of the things that fell in, into our land are a mix of evil and, and good, right? I see. But the other one is that Kristallnacht, Kristallnacht in German, and I don't know German, but it's the night of the broken glass. And the night of the broken glasses is the night when the Nazis broke the glasses of the, uh, their stores, their synagogues, and so on and so forth. Because this is predating the Holocaust. It's the okay. beginning of the persecution, right? So the idea is that I show them some Jewish places in St. Louis, 
but also with the, some kind of connection to other faiths. And so I think they're going to enjoy it very, very much. So those are the two examples that I think I'm going to give you. Otherwise, I will continue. But so the course is Lighten Up. Just to give you an idea of the titles and of the book are Housing and the Homeless, The Imprison. So anyway, that's how I created the course because I was interested in exploring the Jewish tradition of charity. Charity is called tzedakah, and tzedakah means both charity and compassion. So in, in relating it then now to my own research, when I started to explore for the course, obviously, I, you know, I didn't know. I wanted to find out about the Jewish tradition. But I have done quite a few things with interfaith um, events. I went for years to a breakfast that, that is organized by the Jewish Federation, but obviously interfaith. But one of the things that I have found exploring interfaith relationships is two things, and it, they kind of sound contradictory, but I think they are very related. One is that when you listen to others that are not exactly like you, you can learn a lot. Uh, particularly if it's in a friendly atmosphere, right? But you can also realize how similar things are. They may not look the same. You know, students usually get very impressed if I bring an Orthodox Jew because he's going to be dressing in a certain way and that kind of thing. But if you then go to the synagogue and you listen carefully, probably you're going to find many parallels with going to church. And so I, I think that the idea is that you, if you go, if you have an interfaith experience or relationship, you learn to listen. But I also think that in a friendly atmosphere, you also realize how similar we are. So I truly believe in interfaith um, events, interfaith exchanges, and also to look at the hist the past history, you know, you know, the past was not as friendly as it is today. We all know that. But nevertheless, there are always experiences of exchanges. I'm always interested in that exchange. What did they take? What did the Jews of Spain took from Spain and Portugal, even in an unfriendly, you mm. know, situation? Mm. And they took a lot, obviously. And so I, I did a study of how they educated children in Amsterdam, not in London, and in the 1600s. Uh, my argument was that they were imitating their, their Jesuit education. Now, not all of them re recall it in a friendly terms. You know, they, they resented that they had to learn about the Trinity and that kind of thing. But nevertheless, the idea of the... Um, Today, we will say the whole person, but the idea of the teaching children as people, as individuals, this idea, they retain it even when they went back to Judaism. Now, they didn't teach Latin, they taught Hebrew, but they taught it thinking in the Jesuit way of teaching children, because the Jesuits were the masters, you know, of uh, education. And I'm talking before the expulsion of, of the Jesuits, you know. The early society. The, right, the early. I mean, I know quite a bit about how they were expulsed from Spain and Portugal. I mean, in Portugal, they gave them no time. It was overnight. And they had to live only with their uh, their clothing, you know. And so I have done some research occasionally. And one of the things that really break breaks my heart is that Jesuits records in Spain and, and Portugal are all over because 
they left them behind. And so now libraries have them, but they don't have the entire collection and that kind of thing. So I think that I find it that the Jesuit tradition speaks to me in the sense that Jesuits know what is to be exposed from your country, right? I mean, yes. The experience may be different. Obviously, it was not as cruel as with the Jews, but nevertheless, to live overnight with just your, your clothing must have been very, very difficult. So I bring all those things into my teaching and my research. <laughs> what you just said in, in those last few minutes, I don't even know how to absorb that just yet. So I want to make sure that I am clear on this. And I know this is oversimplifying it, so please forgive me and distilling it way. In your your field that is your sweetheart, right? So the The um, Jews of Spain and Portugal, the Sephardic Jews. Jews of Spain and Portugal, right. So you're basically saying that when in the period in which you're studying them, they would have experienced education in Spain and Portugal from the Jesuits. Correct. And I have, you know, they I have records, you know, they say, oh, the, the Los Padres, the fathers of, they taught me about the Trinity and they resented that, right? But nevertheless, their educational system really was following the, the uh, Jesuit way of teaching children. You know, the Jesuits did not charge tuition, for yes. example. It was open to everybody. Now, it doesn't mean that they were as generous as we are today. They would put the the, the poor kids, they would put them in the back row, sure. and that kind of thing. But nevertheless, you know, they were offering free tuition. But they, then they needed the money from the parents. So obviously, for the wealthy parents, right? So obviously, they pay more attention to the wealthy than to the poor. But nevertheless, they were the ones to begin thinking about the treatment of children. This is very interesting because I just came upon some writings of Ignatius where that is exactly what he said to his Jesuits. He said, if there is corporal punishment that needs to occur, it will not be at the hands of a Jesuit. It will not because his main priority was the relationship between teacher and student. That's wonderful. Right. And the idea is that you can look at those records the way you want, right? Or the way you, depending on many factors, but the idea is that a century later, they already began to realize that you were a little bit more, you know, tolerant with them. It took centuries for sure. that to arrive. But nevertheless, the, the Jesuits are credited with that idea. And so those are the kind of things that interest me. I mean, I think it's very important that people study the bad parts of history, right? The Holocaust, the Inquisition. But I'm more interested in the exchanges and then looking at records where there are also signs that there were exchanges and that usually it was mostly Christian to Jews because the Jews um, by being a minority could not influence so much uh, Christians And, and so in the 1700s in London they just wanted to be British, right? And in 1700 uh, in London, it was to be Protestant. So they did many things as the Protestants and that kind of thing. So, okay. so those are the kind of uh, interests. So in your studies of the women and children in their return to London, are you finding that they remained Christian for the most part or did they return? No. Well, to first of all, it's a complicated question, right? Sure. So... They go there because they were still being persecuted and they were usually persecuting the wealthy, you know, they took their wealth. 
And so many of them, I don't even know because I don't really know how they arrive, but they were arriving in small ships and things like that. And one of the things that I have found, for example, is that many of them, particularly women, were mentally ill. And okay. so, you know, I have been exploring why, there are a lot of uh, reasons, right? But then um, uh, by the end of the century, many of them are converting to Christianity. Okay. And so the community begins the 1700s at its best, wealthy, a new synagogue and all that. But then by the by the end, at the turn of the 1800s, there are fewer and fewer Jews. And then they go back eventually, you know, they go back to Judaism. But for a while, the community was very, very impoverished, uh, both because they, they had so many poor and then also because the wealthy were quitting okay. Judaism. So please uh, feel free now to ask me questions because I have spoken a little too much. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm just kind of uh, gleaning all these wonderful little nuggets and the question of your research, of course, I love talking with um, different professors in different schools and departments here at SLU to ask them how you see your research intersecting with the Jesuit mission. And it's not always so obvious as the way you're describing, you know, mm -hmm. and as you articulated this notion of interfaith dialogue as a way of embracing diversity, as a way of expressing unity in a certain sense, how we create community through our differences. And that's really the only possible way of creating community. That's absolutely lovely. And the exhortation um, for all of us, what the invitation is when we encounter difference that is challenging to us is to listen, listen and learn. So I have so many questions, uh, but we might need to save those for another day. I think maybe just landing on those points that where your life and your research and your teaching and your passion has led you is very much into this sense of Jesuit mission, which is embracing everyone and everything as one thing in God, right? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Does, is that fair to say? I think you got the sense of what I wanted to convey perfectly. Yes. You asked me at one point about the Jewish students, and I, I'm just going to be very brief, but I am still officially their advisor. I was their advisor at first because my name, I didn't necessarily tell people that I was Jewish, but they knew that I was teaching Jewish content courses, right? So yeah. I became their advisor and I was their advisor for a while. And the reason, I one of the reasons that it began to change is because it had nothing to do with us or the students. Washington University had Hillel. Hillel is the Jewish institution, right? And at the time until, I don't know, maybe eight years ago. So they were Hillel at Washington University. And, and that gave us a little connection. They will invite us to meals. I mean, when I would go there, they would have a hundred students and I would bring three or something like that. So it was very modest. But nevertheless, it gave us some connection. They would offer students uh, boxes for Shabbat and that kind of thing. But at one point they got, it was too much for them, not as St. Louis University, but they were also um, representing AMSOL, you know, the public institution. And, and AMSOL has many Jewish professors and probably students. I don't have the numbers or anything like that. And so they just 
they were very dissatisfied with things center at Washington University. So Washington University decided to split. <laughs> so that breaking away from them, I think what it is what it started that I was no longer my my you know my advising was no longer needed. And then, you know, probably students changing, you know, to be there more independent, but they just, uh, as we are talking, I have to respond to them because they have requested that I sign up their uh, celebration of, you know, the high holidays are coming, but I probably will offer them in case they want to come to my synagogue or something like that. So I'm still officially, and Harold, um, you have him on one. Harold Braswell. Correct. He's also an advisor to them. A again, officially, you know, we don't do much advising, but yeah. but yes, if they have a question, they they turn to us. And so that's another, you know, layer that I wanted to clarify with you okay. that it's not, it's just that it's, I'm no longer them. I don't feel that longer needed, but they are, they still know that I exist. So. Sure. Oh my goodness. Well, it this has been an absolute delight. Thank you. Let's talk again. Absolutely. <laughs> and I look forward to crossing paths with you on campus. Thank you, Virginia. Okay. Thank you. And for all of you listening, thank you for joining us. And please continue to tune in to Mission Matters, where we highlight the good work being done here in the SLU community, adding to the 500 plus year legacy of Jesuit education. Until next time, let's join together as a community, walking a pilgrim's path, following in the footsteps of St. Ignatius in our shared mission. You can engage the mission intentionally here at SLU, and you can encounter it randomly. But good luck graduating without ever touching it in some way. God bless everyone.